Okay, Chris. Hey, Dave. The question of the week is, what is the worst thing that happens to anyone on Star Trek? Oh, man, that is that is a question. Yeah. There's so much garbage that's happened to people, and none of it is good. <laughs> I, I There's so many... I mean, so many people just get blown and vaporized into pieces. You know what I'm going to give it to? Okay, yeah. I'm glad that you... Yeah. Let the me Voyager clone ship. Ooh. Wow. Specifically the clones. Not the original... Like, not the people, but the clone ship, who doesn't know they're clones, and then eventually start just melting out into nothing because they, they're destabilized, you know? Spoiler alert. Yeah. Hardcore, that, yeah. But that, that one, I think that oh one. my god. That gave me nightmares. It like, was awful. That... Man, you ever watch The X-Files? Yeah, I, when, I was, when I was young, I did. I've been meaning to get back into it and watch all of it. There, uh, there's an... The, that episode of Voyager bothered me. And God, the fact that all of those people are about three weeks old is really they have no idea what they're doing they don't eat the ship is an organism like they'd oh god but well and it gave me it gave me the whole i mean i, I recognize that this is silliness from you know being a child and influ- influenced by sure. random shit but like it made me question if i was really who i thought i was oh i love star trek it's so good <laughs> there's a- yeah there's yeah, a later nothing. later on in the X-Files, there's an episode where I think almost the entire episode is Mulder and Scully. It's their dying hallucinations while they're trapped underground in like uh, in a mycelium network of a giant underground fungus that's making them hallucinate while it digests them. I feel like I saw that episode. It's really weird, and you don't, and really, and again, total spoilers, because that's the punchline. You have no idea the whole episode, what's going on, just like that Voyager episode. Um, Yeah. But really bothered me in the same way. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's my worst thing, just because, again, it's that complete not knowing, there's nothing you can do to stop it. And they've barely begun to live when they die. And just, yeah. that, but they have this lifetime, like at least they have the lifetime of memories. But yeah, the whole thing, the whole thing just messed with my head. The episode is called Course Oblivion. The one that I'm thinking of? Yeah. Cool. I'm bad at remembering <laughs> the names of episodes. So, that, but I mean, gosh. Oh. Yeah. Uh, no, Voyager, Voyager is definitely my favorite live action track that i've watched and a lot of the voyager stuff like when we get there i'll have way more to talk about but like oh, it, yeah voyager has really stuck with me in a lot of ways it might um, be my favorite i don't know it's definitely mine i a lot of it will come to and we'll get to again when we get to, to voyager proper cool. there will be more to say but like a lot of it was the time it came out with a strong independent female captain mm-hmm. who i felt i could look up to who I wanted to be, and then Seven of Nine, who came out, who was um, everything I loved about the Vulcans, because uh, okay. she didn't understand emotion, she yep. struggled with all that stuff, and IRL, I'm that person too in a lot of ways. So, like, I, it, they really resonated with me, plus it's my favorite Doctor, and I thought it was one of the better ones for just, like, interpersonal stuff too. I, I know there's a lot of stuff that people don't like about the show, um, and that it's not 
one of like not most people's favorites, but yeah. because it's not TNG, it's not like, the original series. Like those are, you know, the big ones. But I think yeah, that's no. most people's complaint. Most people was like, "Well, this is not TNG." Yeah, but I liked that it was, it was that it was its own thing. Yeah, me too. It's wacky. It's it's really. I think, and it is. There's definitely we we actually have already discussed already in our two episodes. We've already discussed that there is a Voyager vibe, which is kind of silly. Yeah, no, I like Voyager a lot, and I, I, I'm so glad it got the full seven season run. Um, I was, I was, I remember when it came out, like, and they were going through it and the the complaints. I was really worried that it would get canceled early. Um, yeah. and it was, it was excellent, and I was so happy with it. So yeah, if you haven't watched Voyager and you're listening to this podcast, you should go watch Voyager. It's amazing. Yay, Voyager! What are uh, what are we gonna watch right now today? So today's episode, we're actually starting the proper season one, episode one, real pilot that hit TV. Um, it's called The Man Trap, directed by Mark Daniels, written by George Clayton Johnson, and originally aired September eighth of nineteen sixty six. Sixty-six. So, yeah. No, the the this is this is the start. This is the actual start for most people with with Star Trek. Awesome. Yeah. Uh IMDB gives it a seven point two out of ten, which is a little bit lower than the cage. Okay. Uh but it's still a pretty solid rating. Like for for a pilot to come out of the seven or higher, that's solid. Like that's usually when they're still trying to figure stuff out. So they they came out strong at least, you know? Yeah, totally. I feel like I have, I mean, I've definitely seen this episode and I, and when I was looking at kind of the first couple episodes of season one, like Charlie X and stuff, I was like, yeah, maybe at some point within the past five years or so, I watched maybe even all of season one. So we'll see. But yeah, I, I, I recall this episode and it's about, I feel like it might be, there might be something a little bit questionable. Like they might be like, uh... There is something about these men trading wives or having wives delivered to them or something like that. And, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, maybe I don't remember this episode at all. It has something <laughs> to do with lonely men being predated upon. Uh, I, I know I have seen it. I've Googled it on, on the Wikipedias to get the quick synopsis to remind myself of which episode specifically, because okay. as mentioned, I'm terrible with the episode names. I know I've seen it. I don't know what, what it is, right? It's apparently Salt Vampire. It's the Salt Vampires, yes. It's the Salt Vampire, yeah. Which maybe this, I mean, I'm sure that Salt Vampires get mentioned again, but I, this might oh, be yeah. the only actual appearance, but. We'll I think find... they come, well, they come up in, um, I think they came up in Lower Decks. Oh, yeah, like, I'm sure that, yeah, actually, I mean, I would not be surprised if a full-on salt vampire appeared on Lower Decks. It, one probably does. Yeah. But, yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, it's a salt vampire episode, and I know I've seen it, and it was, it was a good one. It was, it was, this one was one of the cheesier ones, but it was fun. Great, let's, uh, let's take a look at it. I'm all for it. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to The Least Ready Room, a Star Trek podcast where we watch an episode of Star Trek and then talk about it. Um, today we are going to talk about The Man Trap, and uh, yeah, we're going to do that in mostly release order, I believe. Uh, I've, we found out, we might even talk about it, we'll see that the, I think there are two kind of accepted orders 
that season one uh, is presented in. There's, and I don't know if the order on Paramount is the release order. I almost suspect not. But until I know more about that, maybe I won't speculate. Uh, I talked to Midori a little bit this week, and I kind of messed up the recording, so sorry to Midori, but uh, let's talk to her for a few minutes, and then we'll really unpack the episode with Chris, and then at the end, I'll tell you about where else on the internet you can find us, and I will also read off several questions. I feel like maybe we unfortunately kind of blew <laughs> uh, one of the best questions you can ask about Star Trek. It was real early on, and this is episode two. Um, but we'll see. We'll talk about the many answers and the many bad things that happen to people on Star Trek. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. Let's talk to let's talk to these people. I'm very sad. I don't know what I distinctly. I must have like. You know, I must I must have like swept my mouse cursor over um like over the the button and like clicked as I was like sweeping across and then like clicked on a bunch of other stuff to get everything where I wanted to be and I must have just not it's I'm recording now. I'm very sad. That is much sadness. We did like two of the questions. We did, but I mean the answers weren't all that in-depth. We did talk a little bit about the comparison between the unaired pilot and this one, and how, you know, Kirk's character was serious, and... Or no, Kirk's is not serious. He's more fun, He's, and Pike's yeah. is more serious, yeah. Less serious and more fun. Yeah. Um, I guess the most important thing that I asked you was, uh, you know, now that you've watched the unaired pilot and the actual pilot... Do you feel like you will watch TOS? Yeah, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep going with TOS for a little bit. We'll see how it goes. We'll see okay, yeah. if there's a point that I get annoyed with William Shatner's voice and I just can't do it anymore. And you can absolutely opt out at any time. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a lot of, of a lot of media to go through us watching the first episode. And it's 925 pieces of media total, yes. I mean, across all the series. And that, I'm that's thinking, our current estimate. And I'm thinking about, like, <laughs> I've watched TNG, I've watched Voyager, and I've watched bits and pieces of everything else. I've probably maybe hit, you know, a tenth of that, if even. Sure. So, it's a... Uh, We'll see. We'll see what we get there before we're like, eh, I'm gonna just save my energy for maybe some of the newer series. Yeah, and yeah, and exactly. Like when we are, the plan is obviously when we're we're gonna do TOS and then we're gonna move on to TNG and uh, and you know I can also and even if you if you decide that you don't want to do this every week or whatever and you like tell and there are certain episodes that you know you like like when we get to those episodes I can be like oh I'm supposed to shoot Midori a message and see how she feels about this one. We can there do whatever we, we can do it. Yeah. However, however much or little that you like, we can, I'm going to be easy about it. For now we're, we're in, we're hooked. It's interesting. We'll see what happens next. So salt vampires. 
Yes, salt vampires. Um, How did you like her appearance? It was like the end appearance, like the the actual appearance. Yeah. Um, I was like, okay, this is a little weird, but (laughs) it kind of was cool seeing the the hands and being like, well, there's where all the marks come from. Yeah, she's got the octopus suckers. Yeah, so I got some octopus suckers, and uh, it was an interesting looking thing. However, I will say that uh, it didn't look like it came out of someone's closet from Halloween. So, plus there. Um, (laughs) And I did do a little research about how these episodes, the unaired pilot and this one, were, like, two years apart. So they clearly, like, took the time to, like, learn and be like, hmm, this was a little hokey. So let's try to do this and kind of go from there. They definitely figured a few things out about, yeah, what what was going to work. For sure. It, I definitely, like, didn't think about like that. But, I mean, they recasted everyone. So, of course, it is going to take at least some time because you have to recast everyone. Because I think the only person they didn't really recast was Spock, right? Ooh, uh, to my, yeah, that's... At least of the main guys. At least of the main guys. Yeah, I, I don't know about any, yeah. I don't know about anyone any minor actors or extras and i don't yeah i don't know i don't think yeoman rand was around on the cage the actors um so yeah i mean i think yeah spock is definitely fair to say at least among the main characters were you surprised to see uhura flirting with spock although maybe you weren't if most of your well i'll let you answer um I was a little bit, but only because it's been such a long time since I've seen, like, any Star Trek besides we've been watching Picard. Um, so I was kind of, like, taken aback, like, for a second going, huh, I'm sure that I maybe know about this, or maybe I don't. Maybe I'll have to rewatch some stuff. In the In the Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto movies, there is some, I think that, by the second movie or something, they might actually be in a relationship, but there's definitely some tension. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I didn't, and I didn't, rec- and again, I think part of it is that my main, the way that I know these characters is from the 80s movies they made. And in the 80s movies right. they're made, they made, there's no chemistry between Spock and Ara. Although also I watched them as a child, so maybe I should watch them now and see if that's there. Yeah, I mean, even the the Chris Pine ones, I don't think I've seen in, I mean, at least seven years, at least. So my memory of them are hazy at best. I like the third one. I mean, I remember them all being good, but I guess I'll just have to do a rewatch at some point um, and kind of get a better feel of all that. I really want to rewatch. Well, I mean, when actually, probably what we will do is after we watch TOS, we'll probably watch that series of movies. Oh, nice. Yeah, if that's what's happening, I'm definitely down for that. Cool. Yeah, and those movies are good standalone. The, at least the at least two, three, and four. The like central. Oh, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The central thing. So the the scene that I really liked that I found really uh, gripping 
was the scene where they're all well they, they've got dr crater on the ship and they're all kind of talking to him and he's kind of doing the reveal she's the last of her well he says he talks about her being the last of her kind on the planet but then he's explaining more on the ship and he's saying weird things like it doesn't just need salt it needs to be loved it's a it's a intelligent thing and uh it's sitting right there disguised as Dr. McCoy. And the scene goes on for a long time. And I found it really tense. There's a lot of shots of McCoy looking back and forth and they're talking about how they have to hunt it down. And, and I also found that I wasn't really sure how much it really understands and how much it just reflects the mind of whoever's talking to it. Did you get that feeling? Like it wasn't even sure what the situation it was in was in. I did, and and for sure, like, the, whoever, yeah, like, when it was Nancy, like, clearly it was able to relate to Nancy and McCoy's relationship and understand yeah, that. and no stuff like... how much like, of that was like from... Nickname. Yeah, like, knew all of that, so how much of that is, like, that they're just feeding off the other person, they're able to access those, like, memories. Right. Or, you know, like, what is, how is he doing all this thing? Or she, I don't know, it. I guess it would be. She, it, yeah. Yeah. Monster. I mean, across the, yeah. It assumes all types of genders throughout the episode, but. Right. <laughs> we meet it as a she, and it ends up being called an it. But Most, never. Mostly. Never kills any females that I'm aware of. Is that correct? I believe that's correct. It reaches for Uhura, but it, it doesn't does, get her. Which I found interesting, but I mean, since the episode is called The Man Trap. Right, uh, yeah. It kind of is like, okay, but like... The Man Trap. I, but, there's, that's a funny thing to... <laughs> but it didn't really seem to discriminate, like, as far as it was reaching out. And so, is it just after the men, or is it just that's what they chose to focus on? Because it seemed like it didn't care. As long as it was feeding. Yeah, and it could be it could be a use of the word man just meaning, you know, humankind. But especially that in way. that day and age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also in the ship, I'm sure I'm sure the vast majority of people on that ship are men. For sure. In in so, nineteen sixty six. Exactly. Like yeah. yeah, so I mean it checks out. But it it was I did find it funny that it didn't end up killing any women and i really kinda, oh please if you had something i was like kind of like emphasizing like the title more like this really is the man trap yeah and she's just going from man to man but and that's also why i can't tell how really intelligent the creature is because at the end she's just on a rampage and she's yeah. she seems she's very strong spock i don't it has not been mentioned yet but spock is supposed to have like the strength of three men or something and it just takes several hits from him to the face and then whacks him and knocks him across the room, which is actually that fall is a, that the jump and the fall and the landing is really good performance on the part mm. of Leonard Nimoy. Um, but it's almost in the end when McCoy is pointing the phaser at it and they're telling him that it's not Nancy and they're trying to prove to him that it's not Nancy. And you can like see the doubt in his face and it's like, it's when it's when he finally realizes that there's no way this thing is Nancy. That's when the illusion disappears and uh, we see the, the really excellent... I love 1960s monsters. 
I love seeing him. This is a great 1960s monster. But he's like, pretty good. It's the it's 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 when it's McCoy. Yeah, it's McCoy realize it's McCoy ceasing to believe in the illusion. And that's so, when the illusion drops, and you can see what this thing really is. Yeah, I found that interesting. It's kind of a mirror. Uh, yeah, so we don't. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot more. There's a lot of questions that could be asked about sort of all the mechanics and stuff here. And uh, yeah, you you may be interested. Actually, I'll tell you what. I don't know if I've ever asked you this. You ever watch Lower Decks? I haven't actually. Oh, is it good? Yes, it is quite excellent in my opinion. Okay, yeah, I've heard a lot about it. I have not tried to watch Lower Decks. Apparently, there are three or four episodes that at least mention salt vampires, which is funny to me. This <laughs> is we found that out. We we're talking about it yesterday. Fair, okay. Where is it? Like, does it have like a place in the series that it's, or is it like its own thing? It happens very shortly after the three '90s shows. It's sort of okay. like the era, like Riker is there, and he's not. You know, there's like old Riker in Picard, so this is like medium Riker. That's how okay. you gauge. That's how you gauge a Star Trek show. What Riker do you get? But it's like it's just after the TNG era. Okay, gotcha. Which is okay. great. Yeah. That's the best part about it, that it really, it almost is, like, it is, the, the vibe of it is on par with those 390 shows, DS9. Voyager. Even though it's, like, what, started last year, or maybe the year before? Oh, uh, they're on season four. Oh, already? Wow, okay, so yeah, where have so I been? it was, yeah, post-2020, Probably pre-2020. Pre-2020, yeah. Interesting, yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to give that a watch. I really, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's, uh, yeah, it's just... It's just fun. It's a lot of it's a lot of maybe not even necessarily follow follow ups, but well, some of it is. Some of it is actually like you know, let's go back to this planet and see what's going on now. <laughs> That's kind of cool. And uh, but tons of references to things that happened in, and you know, it depends on you know, it could be it could depend on how much the viewer has really absorbed and digested just everything in star trek but i mean it definitely lives in the tng era and references the 90s probably more than anything else is rad that sounds like something that would be really cool to watch then i'm all about the 90s if you were gonna give the man trap a rating out of 10 Seeing that's the first one, and I don't know if we're going up or down from here, I'll give it a solid seven. All right. Okay. So great. it was yeah. way better than the unaired pilot, but I just, I'm curious to see where we're going from here. Too early yeah. to tell. Yeah, me too. I will say, I, you know, definitely noticed a difference in the quality um and really appreciated that and i think i even read somewhere that they for this pilot had an even lower budget which actually probably is better because they weren't trying to like do all sorts of crazy special effects or yeah. you know kind of yeah. go all out and it, you really get to like the feel of star trek where it's not about the show which the the unmarried pilot it was like spectacle. i i was like yeah it's like the whole spectacle it was more theater than i feel like just a show 
So I did appreciate that about this episode was that they scaled back on the theatrics. And I feel like that really influenced my decision to keep going with this series, that it's not quite so hokey as the unaired pilot, which was a little bit too ridiculous for my taste. Yeah, that's I mean, that's for sure. I agree with you. Uh, yeah, and really, the this is much more focused on dialogue here. I mean, even the stuff I said about Kirk and his relationships and how he's a more fun kind of guy, like... All of that is is shown through the ensemble, and the it's a lot more. It's a lot more. It's it's a closer look in a lot of ways than the cages at all of these characters, and it it looks better. The the ship, I think the sets on the ship for nineteen sixty six looked great. Looked yeah, really good, yeah. There's a few laser blasts, but a lot less special special effects, and just <sighs> kind of neat looking sets and. There's some big foam blocks that get like blown up on the planet, but that's right. about it. That's about it. You know, yeah. little, one little action scene. That's fine. There was that one little laser beam that like was really weirdly delayed, and I I was like, okay, that was mm. a little that was a little weird. When he but, gets stunned, uh, yeah. When he gets yep. stunned, like the weird. delay, it yeah. was a little weird. But that wasn't like the the common theme of oh that like that little sequence was weird. So because it was kind of a one-off, I, I kind of moved on like, okay, they're still working with it. I still got to remember that this is the sixties. Um, we're still, this is still really the first episode. So right. we still don't even know where, where we're going here. No, since I have not seen any of the original series, I, I have no idea where it goes from here. But like you said, like the relationships and kind of building on that, like that shows that, you know, like that continues through all, all of the series, you know, moving forward. And that's something that they choose to focus on. So the fact that that's showcased in this first official episode gives me hope that the series might be watchable and enjoyable, even though it is in older and different times. Totally. Yeah. Well put. So, yeah, so that that's the man trap. But yeah, I mean... Any final thoughts? Um, I was really happy with this episode, and cool. I'm excited to see where it goes next, and like actually know that now that I'll I meet these characters, that watching their development, like these are the characters that I'm gonna be seeing. It's not gonna be right. Why don't yeah. I recognize any of these characters? I don't have any interest i'm not invested like knowing that these guys are moving forward and recognizing a lot of them from other series like i'm invested in in how the early days uh were for them and what they plan on on doing with the series because i really truly don't know much about the original series so it's gonna be uh it's gonna be interesting awesome i'm glad you liked it Um, okay, yeah, so it was not this episode, but I do feel like there's an episode in this first season, maybe among the first few episodes, where there is some, like, lonely, cranky man on a planet who is... Boy, a lot of Star Trek... First of all, this is a, I'm not even finishing my first thought, but a lot of Star Trek episodes in many series uh, feature someone going to visit a cranky old man that wants the ship to go away as soon as possible. I can think of, like, three from... TNG. 
But I feel like there's one where these guys encounter, like, I think maybe on a cold planet, but some lonely man where they need to deliver him, like, a wife or companionship or something. And I feel like I remember feeling really weird and questionable about it. Honestly, I might be making that up. That might not be an episode. But this one is a full-on vampire story. Yes. She's, like, stalking around the ship, going from victim to victim. And she's even got all the, the classic vampire powers, you know, the, um, what is it, her heart? The, the, the entrancing thing, the yep. putting them to sleep thing, because, like, she just knocks McCoy right out, right? Does McCoy take any of those pills? I don't think he did. If he did, it was quick and, and you know, I think, not, not, yeah. I didn't notice it, but no, I don't think he did. He was so deeply asleep that when he was hailed to come to the bridge... He didn't, I mean, and the pills could have done that, but I mean, I feel like, yeah, she brought, she did some kind of mesmerism yeah. upon him. And he yeah, stays no. that way for a while while she's creeping around being a very creepy Bones. Oh, she she was just creepy in general. Like, they were, well, you and I mentioned, talked about it briefly, where it, she came off as just, just almost, almost a stalkerish to everyone the entire time with this lovely undertone of sexualization that they kept doing with the, mm -hmm. the tooth by the biting of the finger right yeah. so like the sexy salt licking off of her own skin i don't even know if it's her licking salt off her own skin or just the, it's supposed to be oh but i want it and i can't have it yeah the sort of it's, turned on by the denial of you know what don't kink shame some I, people I, not, that's okay. some people's thing you know <laughs> and she's insatiable she can't she, it's not even like she can get a bite to eat and lay low once she starts doing it it's like she's got a she just starts chugging yeah like an addict the worst kind of vampire really yeah like if you're gonna be a vampire you know sometimes a vampire might get on your ship and it'll like kill one guy a month and sneak around and change shape and hide and then you get like what was it? The last voyage of the Demeter? Do you, was it the Demeter? Do you know what I'm talking about? Dracula takes a boat at one point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it is. I think you're right. I think it is the Demeter. <laughs> Everyone ends I, up I dead. The, the, the meter is how <laughs> the, I've always said it. Demeter, but yeah, I think okay, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Oh, that was that was honestly, I'm like, I I still continually forget that that is episode one. Yeah. I, I always, my brain always wants to put it like midway through season two or later. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way it's so early in. So, man, the very first episode of this show, like ten members of the crew gruesomely murdered. No, they didn't. Though they came out swinging. They were and, they were very clear. Like, we're not holding, we're not holding back. Other than our with our terrible, terrible double entendres. A real banger of a of an opener. Yeah. No, it it definitely is a solid seven. Like they, they, that is not a, a bad, a bad rating. Like it's, it's a solid episode. It hits all the notes that we want, we, except for introducing us to a couple of the later major characters. Sure. Yeah. Um, which we 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 heard we heard or saw everyone except for Chekhov. Um, so well, like that's yeah. I don't believe Chekhov shows up until some time into this series. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's like episode six or seven. To be honest, I think he's a few more episodes in. Okay. But um, I don't know. I always loved him. Um, and he should have been in every episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, and like even like they even had James Hahn in it doing Scotty, even though we didn't see him, which uh, you know is nice. So 
And Yeoman Rand. Oh, that hair. Yeah, that's a real that's a real choice. Someone was really like, what are women going to do with their hair in space? They're going to take the beehive and they're going to make it more complicated. Wrap checkerboard braids around the entire thing, up and down. Well, she's got that the whole way through. Like, they've established that that is her hair. So she had to sit down and make up every time she was on scene and get that done to herself. Wait, you... Do you know that that is her hair? That's not a piece that's sitting on top of the actress's head. I have to assume that that's her actual hair. You can do that. Beehives, that is a beehive hairstyle well, with a, with a uh, filigree in front. <laughs> like, that is completely manageable. And beehives are really popular in the 50s and 60s. I can see that being her actual hair. And at the time, it was more common for women to do their hair up like that and then leave it like that for like a week. Like you'd wash okay. your hair and style it once a week to get that. So, yeah, no, I totally believe that's her real hair. Yeah, I can believe that it. I would also believe that it was a piece that she was wearing when she came on set. But I would not, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be flabbergasted to find out that that was her real hair. And immediately, an immediate observation is that Kirk is having a lot more fun than Pike. Well, I mean, he's big silly. He's a big silly. Yeah, he is. And it's a, yeah, it's an immediate difference. And even not just... Not just in his demeanor, but the way, well, I want to say the way he relates to the crew, but really the way he relates to Spock and McCoy, which is, you know, those are like, you know, those are the three main guys. Yeah. But they already have like a friendship and, you know, little, already their whole, those three guys' whole vibe, you can already see it starting to come out. Yeah, no, they definitely have their rapport. Like at the start, like if they, they they open it up. There's no question. These are people who have known each other for several years, you know? Yeah. And there's no and obviously, you know, the, none of the viewers at this point would have known about the other pilot. But yeah, it is. If we were going to put this in the timeline, it is several years or maybe even longer after, uh, you know, after Pike was in charge. No, for sure. Like, I feel like this is supposed to be, I don't know, my gut says like two to three years minimum, probably closer to five to six, you know, between the cage and this. I don't have anything to support that. I just have a gut feeling. Yeah, and that sounds right. And there, there might not even be. I mean, actually, there probably, now there probably is some official timeline where we could actually find out exactly, but. I didn't hear the star date uh, today, and I don't, didn't, last time when we were listening to um like when we watched sorry the man cave oh, sorry the cage not the, the man, man cave, cave. <laughs> last time when we watched the cage and today i don't remember hearing the uh starting on either episode i don't so, either which doesn't mean he didn't say it it's honestly that's the kind of thing i might get highway hypnosis because i don't know if you even like if you hear someone say that at the beginning of every episode your brain might not completely hear it you know what i mean well, like, and i've been trying to listen for it because um on on the you know big page of data that i've been doing i don't have a lot of the star dates especially in the earlier stuff it's not like my internet searching didn't start really giving me star dates until i think it was like late deep space nine early voyager maybe oh that's interesting because yeah 
yeah, so I mean, I'm gonna go back um eventually, yeah, Deep Space Nine season four is when I start getting start starting so wow, I mean, they yeah. definitely they definitely have them all throughout t n g right yeah, and I, I feel like they came up frequently in the original series, if not every episode, so I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna re-listen to both um the intros. Yeah, and I'm going to see if I can find that, and, and who knows, maybe in a, a little bonus update later on, I'll be able to say exactly yeah. how, yeah, how long they were apart from each other in the timeline, but okay. I don't I don't know at this stage, and I don't have that information. I'm oh. actually kind of surprised I haven't heard it, because like, it, it's usually like a pretty prominent part of the show, you know? Yeah, I feel like it's possible that they haven't done it yet, and they might not, and I don't know when... Well, again, uh, TOS is my least, my point of least familiarity, you know, so. Yeah, I feel like if it might not just be the trope yet, I feel like it's just, they're still finding their footing to a degree, so it's not the start of the episode is Captain's Log, blah, blah, blah. It's just, yeah, hey, we're in the yeah. episode now. And that might just be something that they started doing later into the, the series. I don't know. Yeah, and I'm not even, and now I'm not positive about TNG, but I definitely feel like nearly every episode of TNG opens with, and somebody's log and someone mentioning the star date. But again, well, it might just be mimetic in my head now. Well, and I feel like with TNG especially, like they started messing around more with other people having the star date versus yeah, in, yeah. whereas here, it's, I think it was either Kirk or Spock. I don't think anyone else ever got it. Not even Spock got it like once, you know what I mean? So, but again, it's, it's we're only on episode one of, of season one. Like there's a lot of it to rewatch and I do not remember the playlist order for any of these episodes. I keep being like looking at stuff for it and just no idea where it's supposed to be in the timeline. My head's got it as happening at some point, but I don't know what episodes when, right? Sure, yeah. Uh and there yeah, there's there's a lot to keep track of. There really is. So this uh yeah, so the the opening Bits of plot are that they are visiting a Professor Crater and his wife Nancy, who live on alone on a planet where there is uh, a ruined civilization. And uh, they go to visit Professor C Oh, and, and of course we mention in the opening monologue that Nancy Crater is an, an old flame of Dr. McCoy. So they go down there, and the imme immediately we see that there's something going on with this woman because and kirk even mentions it in case someone's like listening and not watching the tv that all three of the men see a different version of this woman one of them sees a blonde woman from risa he doesn't say risa he, you know, says, he called it wrigley or wriggles or something like that oh he did call it something and but he, he mentioned that it was a pleasure planet or a yeah i think he said, he said it was like, i think he said it was wrigley's pleasure planet something like that okay yeah. yeah um so something is off immediately and again that trope that and not even a trope i mean maybe it kind of is but a star wars tradition star wars i'm gonna do that a lot by the way <laughs> eventually i'll get to do a super cut where i cut out every time that i call it star wars and then mention that i'm gonna do it a lot um but yeah the the cranky old man that wants the that wants the federation officers to go away and he he if there's anything that i want from you guys it's salt we need salt me and nancy are very depleted of salt and uh, I really like the little tidbit where 
Somehow, does she call Dr. McCoy Plum? It comes out that Dr. McCoy's nickname was Plum. It would be interesting if she knew that. That's some Stephen King's it shit. I think she called him Plum. Because wow. I mean, why she called him that. I guess she does another thing. She, she senses that Uhura is thinking about. She knows. Yeah, she's got some mind reading ability. Yeah, she does. Okay. Such a vampire. Well, because that's how she makes, that's how she knows how to present herself to you. Is she, yeah. Um, that's why, like you were saying, there's a three different views, um, but you didn't quite get into it because we got derailed slightly, where, yeah, the one guy was picturing this chick from the, the Pleasure Wrigley's uh, Pleasure Dome. Yeah. <laughs> and so she she became that, but then Kirk um, and the, the professor are picturing, you know, Nancy as the appropriately, appropriately aged woman, and McCoy's only seeing her as this 25-year-old girl that he knew back in the day, right? Yeah. So if she's 100% just reflecting back what you're picturing, she'll, she's got to have some mind-reading ability for that. High concept. Yeah. I that love was, it. It was a really smart show, given how cheesy it is, eh? It, I, yes, I, I do believe. And I mean, even some of the stuff that I found really intriguing in the cave. Like, I feel like there's, yeah, I feel like there is subtext. I feel there's, I feel the writing is interesting. And, you know, so far we're two episodes in, but uh, yeah, I feel like there are little inter interconnected tidbits and something for an intentive viewer to find. And uh, yeah, it's cute. Yeah, and, no, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I love that Kirk, and this is just, yeah, there's so many cute little Kirk things. I love that Kirk calls McCoy Plum. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's the best friend ribbing, right? Like, exactly. Oh, oh you, 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 got, you got hit on by your ex, eh, Plum? Yeah, a now, pleasure they, planet. A whole damn planet for pleasure. Now they, I liked it, too, where they really got to, to explore... That, that relationship with Kirk and, and McCoy out the gate with like even like the stop thinking with your glands line, which both of us That's both of so us were funny. very amused by. That's so funny. <laughs> and the, like the, the, go on. Please, please, oh, I was just gonna say this whole time McCoy is uh I don't know what you call it when you got a dazed look in your eye because you're thinking about your ex girlfriend. But McCoy has that look on this whole time, which is why eventually he is told to stop thinking with his glands. It's like a um, um, far away, like far away love struck. Yeah, he's got a yeah. love struck expression on his on his poor Doctor McCoy face. So they bring, yeah. So what do we? So even though he was not wearing a red shirt, and even though this is the first episode, and we shouldn't know this. Uh, McCoy, Kirk, and Darnell are ah. the people who go down in the cold open. We uh, know, we know we're never going to see Darnell again. <laughs> Just by that. Well, this is also before red shirts are really, really a thing, right? Like, I mean, even throughout the show, there's not a lot of red in this, ep this episode, right? So um, Sean? <laughs> Seth McFarlane was wearing a red shirt. Seth McFarlane's in this episode. I saw him. Okay. <laughs> there were two guys in red shirts. Yeah, and then there's the Yeoman and Uhura. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so Darnell... Uh, actually, 
I believe Kirk tells Darnell to go wait outside because Darnell's yeah, comments, yeah. He's talking about pleasure planets to these people. And, you look like uh, the, well, it's basically he's basically telling her, "You look like this horror I know." Yes, that is what he's saying. Except, it it's, except it's 1966. <laughs> yeah, it's, except it's classy. <laughs> didn't I? Didn't I encounter you on that prostitution planet we were on? <laughs> but yeah, she. So the blonde version of her comes outside and says, "Hey, Crewman Darnell, why don't you follow me?" And that about wraps it up for Crewman Darnell. <laughs> and uh yeah the the real i guess that's the inciting incident they discover his body uh they don't know what's wrong with it he's got she's he's got marks on his face and they believe he's been poisoned by some local plant life the professor tries to blame this guy must have gotten bored and started munching on the local plant life boy this guy isn't a he goes to the pleasure planet and then as soon as they put him on an away mission, he starts eating weird plants. It sounds like he was a problem anyway. Old crewman well, I mean, now. He was he's only a crewman, like they're the lowest rank, right? So he's obviously not good enough to get, you know, promotions. Yeah, pro yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know exactly. I would imagine that a crewman is pro that's probably about it. That's basically you're there. You're on the ship. <laughs> yeah, no, crewman crewman in the original series is below Ensign. Oh, and then is Yeoman above Ensign? I don't remember where Yeoman Yeah, I'm land. not sure. I was talking about this with Midori. I don't know if Yeoman and Ensign are similar stations. I feel like Yeoman and Crewman are similar stations with different responsibilities. Because okay. like, you, you'll see it with the Crewman on the show. They tend to be the ones who are doing like minor repairs and running around doing... like the physical labor, whereas sure. the opens are more in charge of, like, carrying plates around and stuff like that. Like, right. Secretary wait waitress versus menial labor is, I think, the distinction. Crewmen are more likely to wear a red shirt and get vaporized. Definitely. Well, I mean, it's the men. Who cares about men? <laughs> that's that's the 1960s thing, you know? The men men are, are expendable, women less so, right? So Yeah, you can't yeah, you can't have a woman go down and get vaporized. People the viewers would be shocked. Well, I mean look at what happened to Natasha Yar when she dies in Star Trek, uh, the next generation. Ooh. Spoiler alert. Like that's her death a... her death was, was uh surprising. Yeah. So I rem I remember yeah. that. I remember being like I remember being like, "What the hell is going on? You can't just, you can't just kill a, a." She's been on there because that's the thing. I had watched, you know, some TOS and stuff when TNG came out, and again, you know, TNG is when I really became captivated with this whole thing. But I had seen plenty of episodes. Basically, at that point, I knew that if there was a guy named Darnell or something other than Spock, Kirk, or McCoy out on the away team. That that was probably it for that guy. Yeah. Like, I was familiar with that. And I knew that it was going to be a guy I had never seen before who wasn't a main character on the show. When they killed Tasha Yar, I was like, are they allowed to do this? Well, and she's, she was such a major character in general. Like, she was yeah. in every episode. She was the captain's, um, not the captain, sorry, the head of security. Like, Worf was her subordinate. She somehow could, manages to continue to be a pretty major character after her death. 
Oh, I, if I remember correctly, that was all because the actress was actually having some issues with the show. Like, the, there was some fighting with her and, like, producers or uh, directors or... One of the producers or, or one of the directors was, um, yeah. Yeah, there was some problems there. So they were writing her off the show because, no. Yeah. But, like, it still came out... Of, like, kid me. It came out of nowhere when I saw that. Yeah. Now, granted, I think I saw it as a rerun because I think it was... I think it aired before... I started watching Star Trek, really, but yeah, it just was Man. out of nowhere. I saw it on a Sunday night at my grandparents' house the day it aired. Nice. Like, oh, boy, 1989? Something like that, yeah. I was barely even... I was not a whole person. No. <laughs> blew my <laughs> mind. Blew my mind. Yeah, no, I, I, I was, I was too young for Star Trek when when it first aired. I sure, was, I was yeah. just a little bit too young still. But yeah, no, I, I when I saw the reruns of it, it was still, it was, it, it was formative as far as the show was concerned. Like that was a formative moment. That was a core moment of TNG. Did you, did you look at all at the answers to um, what is the most terrible thing that happens to someone? No, I didn't see the uh, see the the conversation around that. Check this out. Somebody's answer was Armis. Not, really? Yeah, because Armis's story is that he was all of, he was the unwanted, like impure emotions and urges of mm-hmm. of an entire race that they somehow separated from themselves. I wonder if it was the founders and then left alone to dwell in all of the regrets and darkness and jealousy of of an entire race just pooled together into some kind of and obviously fuck Arbus. (laughs) (laughs) But that's an interesting answer. It is. Yeah, I would I would never have thought of Arbus, honestly. Um, There's been like there's a couple of things that the more. We've talked about it, like we've uh, been thinking on it, on it. Like, there's a few things that jump out as pretty awful, and Armis would never have th- come to mind for me. You know, right? You wouldn't. You would never think of no of that guy. Yeah. <laughs> um. So back in TOS. <laughs> yes, back in the show that we're actually watching. <laughs> uh, we get a shot of the Brit back on the bridge, and again, uh, this is similar to the last episode, and we'll see if if Spock is usually the one on the ship while Kirk is having adventures or if that becomes the structure. But again, we have a lot of Spock handling whatever's going on on the ship and uh, Uhura is bored and flirting with him hardcore. Yeah, no, that definitely uh, is the precursor to the reboots um, romance. Yeah, and I was talking about like, you know, I was surprised at certain things that we saw in the cage and I... What I said when we when this scene was happening is that I wonder how much stuff from like the current era and stuff that's just sort of baked into the show now, how much of that am I going to realize was always here? Yeah, no, like we t- we mentioned it to each other while we were watching the episode, like the them having a romance when I saw it in the when I saw it in the movie, it came out of nowhere as far as I was concerned. Like they did not have a romance. Yeah, but it's so. clearly it's clearly there. It is just kind of like, oh, this has been this has obviously been here. How is this something I missed? Right? Yeah. 
where we are now in the show or the shows, the the canon, uh, many, yeah. many women have tried to romance Spock, which seems like it. Well, it is. It is. It is proven to be an extremely silly thing to do. It is. Yeah. <laughs> he's almost he's a little bit like. Worf in that he's half Vulcan and because he has that human side, he wants to be extra Vulcan and extra cold. Like, Worf wants to be extra Klingon because he was raised by humans. Well, I feel like, at least with, with Spock specifically, he was raised on Vulcan, right? So, yes. I mean, we, we get we get glimpses of, it, glimpses of his childhood um, throughout a lot of the programs and the movies. Like, it mm-hmm. came up most notably, again, in the reboots, right? Where we see him totally. actively being picked on yep. uh, for, for having human emotions. Mm-hmm. And... I don't remember Worf's backstory well enough. I know he was raised by humans, but I can't remember if he was raised on Earth or on... Oh, he was He was an orphan. He was orphaned on Earth and raised on Earth by humans, and he came out extra Klingon as a result. So, like, I know for my, myself and people that I, I know in real life, um, it, if I'm around people who don't see me as what I my identity is or again other people who I know who are in that right who they're around people who don't see them as the identity that they have yeah um it, it's almost like putting on a character of no see I told you I'm this identity yeah to to prove it and yeah. um to to be like no I'm serious like you can't you can't deny that I am this thing and I feel like uh, with with Worf especially definitely that I feel like with Spock, it's the the trauma of of the constant bullying as a child for having the human emotions and having to double down on um, pretending to not be that, you know, yeah. be that weakness. Yeah, that, I mean that's a that is that's a real thing. That is a real phenomena. Yep. Yeah. So they yeah. bring they bring Darnell back up to the ship, and McCoy is like, "I can't figure out what killed him," and so Kirk says well i would like you to (laughs) just to get you know just to to prolong the mystery a little bit we of course know um what's going on and while mccoy is trying to figure out the fact that this guy is depleted of salt which you know is something mccoy mentions he would have never tested for because how does you know that happen yeah but while that's going on, uh, Kirk goes back down to the planet to to, to demand answers, uh, where two more crewmen are killed. One of them is a guy named Green, and Kirk finds the guy who's not Green, that corpse. And meanwhile, the salt vampire takes the form of Mr. Green, a very creepy port. And really, when the when and this is how the vampire gets onto the ship. And once she's on the ship. She starts, you know, shapeshift, taking the form of various people and creeping everyone out. And everyone who portrays the vampire does a great job. This green guy is so creepy. The way he's following Yeoman Rand. And we see Sulu for the first time with green and Yeoman Rand. And it's like the crew's all here. I almost didn't expect to see Sulu. Yeah, you were mentioning that, that you, you thought he came up later. Yeah, I felt a few of the more minor characters, and yeah, Chekhov, of course, does, but yeah. Even hearing Scotty in this episode, I also <laughs> felt like Scotty was not as big of a part of the original series, and but we'll find out as we go along. And the only one of the, the you know, main cast, so to speak, that we didn't see, I think, was just Chekhov. 
I actually know the more I think about it, I don't think we saw Nurse Chapel either. No, we did not see Nurse Chapel in this one. And she so, and again, yeah. But she's in she's in the like she's in the Yeoman Rand level of main cast, quote unquote, right? right. Where it's like, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. We, we know your name, you are a named person who's important to the show. You're just not the top three. Right. And I kind of, yeah, I kind of feel like Yeoman Rand, Nurse Chapel, and even Scotty and Chekhov are all four of those characters are kind of. We def we kind of don't see them every episode, I guess. No, Sulu too. Yeah. I don't think we see Sulu every episode either. I can't wait until he starts sword fighting. <laughs> I think it was just one or two episodes. I don't think it came up much. And it's because, fun fact, George Takei actually learned how to fence as a child. That that was done because the actor knew how to do it, not because they want Sulu to know how to do it. Oh, that's great. If I if I remember correctly. Also, by the way, I'm gonna quick retcon to earlier where I was talking about uh Rand's hair. Apparently that was a wig and it got okay. stolen. Whoa. Whoa! According to According to Wikipedia, specifically, there was two wigs that got melded together to make that thing and was stolen um after the character left the show and never never recovered. Did you like um, the plant that Sulu keeps as a pet? It was so cute. Oh my gosh. It's 100% a suddenly Seymour moment just waiting to happen, but yeah. adorable. Uh, I love the fact that it gets scared of the vampire and Sulu comforts it. I, I, feel like that's, so I feel like that's the only reason it was in the show at all, was just to have a way to be like, no, see, even the plant knows something is hinky. Which again, it's like, you know, if the cat or the dog doesn't like a guy that you've invited over to the house, that's like, you know, that's a big horror trope. This is like such, and it's almost like, it's not presented in a scary way, but this is a cute little horror. It's a, it's a, it is a real ass vampire story. Classic. It is, it is. Um... Yeah, so this green guy uh, creeps out various people, but he kind of hones in on Leonard McCoy, which might have something to do with the the imprint that it made of this, because it has been Nancy, kind of, mm -hmm. for a while, and some somehow, and we don't really get any interiority. We don't know how much it thinks. It obviously can talk, but it's also reading a lot of what's it's, what it's saying out of its victims. Um, but for whatever reason, yeah, it's it's looking for McCoy, and McCoy does, you know, he he realizes that there is a salt vampire, someone's been depleted of salt, and I'm not sure exactly what the situation is where he gets told to stop thinking with his glands, is it? <laughs> yeah. Is he saying something to Kirk about how he doesn't believe that Nancy could be involved or something like that, and... Kirk says, stop thinking with your glands. It's something like that. He's saying something. It is. In defense I don't, of I don't remember the exact line, but yeah, he, he basically was like, dude, you're 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 stepping out of bounds, and he's like, nah, man, like stop stop thinking with your second head. <laughs> to be a little bit more explicit and less classy about it. <laughs> I also like that Yeoman Rand speculates that uh Crewman Green may have gone space happy. Yeah, I like that phrase, because, like, <laughs> cabin fever is a real thing that people go through, right? So yeah. having having a future term for the exact same thing, I liked it. It was it was good. And, no, he was definitely acting... Even what little we saw of Green before Green, you know, dies and goes crazy, so to speak. Um, yeah. That was definitely out of character for him, so... 
Creepy looking guy. They got some good actors in for that episode. Yep. Like um the crewman that that um Uhura's talking to with the Swahili and everything, right? Oh, like yeah. that whole that whole chunk too. Like even him, he's on screen for that actor was on screen for what, thirty seconds? Something like that, yeah. And he still was solid and is a memorable character. Like I, I remember I remember his face. Um years later even, you know what I mean? So Sure. This show's great. I didn't it's know. So yeah. good. I mean, I'm going to say, I'm going to say how I end up feeling about TOS, but I mean, I guess it's like after all this time, it's almost like I can't believe I haven't like taken a hard look at this show after I've seen everything else, like everything. Yeah. No, and it, it's honestly, it holds up better than you think it will. I, I bet like, that's, I bet that's what I'm going to find. Like for me, at least, um, and I'm, I will keep calling it this. It's a campy, cheesy, silly 1960s sci-fi show up there with like Lost in Space or Doctor Who. Like it's in that sphere yep. of just fun, silly bubble bubblegum shoe. Uh, sorry, bubblegum show. But it it covers topics in a way that is surprisingly delicate for the era. Um, yeah, and it it holds up. It really does hold up for to a modern. Uh, viewing like here it is 2024 this show aired in you know the 60s 19 what was it 1966 i said yep so it's a 58 year old show like this episode is 58 years old years old this year and it's still it's still pretty solid for a modern a modern take you know i i agree i think it is yeah uh yeah and i mean yeah and it, again i'm I find myself being surprised at how many little similarities and little legacy things that are still in the show and how much I like, how much familiar, how familiar I already am. Like, cause obviously I know these characters, but I mean, it just, I, I just, I expected this to be so different that it would feel like a completely different show about a completely different, you know, world built fictional universe. No, you're watching, you're watching an older version of Lower Decks. Crazy. <laughs> and I think that's part of it too is that the series of Star Trek's programs over the last sixty years have consistently done enough callbacks to this sort of stuff. Like straight up, Lower Decks has whole episodes devoted to stuff from the original series. Like we were talking about it before with the uh the salt vampire. How many salt vampires show up in yeah, yeah, and there's four separate references. One entire episode, they're they're actually like a thing, but there's four separate references to salt vampires in the lower deck specifically. That's <laughs> now I want to watch all of Lower Decks and find the salt vampire references. <laughs> well I can give you the exact episode so you don't okay. have to watch the whole I don't thing. have to watch it. Okay. But I mean I, I mean I'm going to again eventually. Yeah, well, I will too. It's a great show. If you haven't watched Lower Decks yet, you should. It's phenomenal. It's it's. I think it's my favorite Trek content since the like '90s. Yeah, if we're gonna if we're gonna knock out if if the '90s stuff is not allowed, um, I really like Strange New Worlds, but Lower Decks is where it's at. And and one of my favorite things about Strange New Worlds is that Boimler and uh, I'm embarrassed that I don't know the girl's name right off the top of my Mariner. head. Mariner. But Boimler is such a Good he name is. for a main character. Boimler. Well, it's, it's, it's not even just that. It's it, His name is Bradward. Bradward, yeah, Bradward Boimler. Boimler. It, it's just that suits the characters perfectly. It's 100%, it's honestly. And like, 
I'm not gonna lie. So Mariner's voice, when I first saw it, like I recognized her, right? Okay, yeah. And I couldn't, but I couldn't place her. She's the she's one of the characters from like she played a character on Space Force, uh, Force with yeah. Steve Carell yeah. and John Malkovich, and yep. she's basically playing the same character, character. again, yeah. only more badass now. You know totally. what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. That's that is that's almost that's basically that actress's arc right there yeah. and i i love it i love it she's so good in that kind of a role she works so well in that you know and she honestly her and um huey from the boys huey, uh boimler yeah. whatever his name is huey boimler he has a yeah man i'm not, I don't I'm, his, I'm embarrassed i don't know the actor's name either <laughs> he's a quaid he's one of the quaids yeah he's, that's right he's dennis quaid's kid i just don't remember his first name but anyway so him and her have surprisingly strong chemistry and like they're just yep. they're, they work so well together. Oh man, I can't wait until we get to Lord X. We get to actually start talking about all the self-referential Jack bull bullshit. Yeah, Jack Wade. Thank you. Oh, so much self-referential bullshit from from that one into everything that came before it. It's just, I, it's it's amazing. I mean, just like the 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 sheer nerdosity of it. Of yeah, the amount of just it's. And the fact that he is, you know, obviously he's not a Star Trek fan, but he's a history buff in the Star Trek universe. So he's constantly talking about Voyager and TNG and those old scientists. Yep. Amazing. He's, he's, he's so good. He is. It, it really is the Star Trek nerd Star Trek. Yeah. You know, do you know the kind of the origin story of the, the guy that's the, the creator? For what, Lord X? Yeah. No, I don't. He had a, a Twitter account called TNG Season 8. And really? he, would, he would just type, you know, 140 character premises, comical pre premises of what might happen on a TNG episode. And somehow that turned into him getting a job making a Star Trek nerd show. Well, I mean, clearly he knew what he was doing, right? Incredible. So, yeah, so... Salt Vampire turns into McCoy, goes up to the, 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 uh, the bridge, bridge yeah. and is a creeper to everyone on the bridge. And McCoy remains creepy for a while. Mm -hmm. she's, she's creeping around being McCoy for a while. Well, we mentioned that McCoy is mesmerized into a coma or something. Yeah, he's, he's passed right out in his room, like gonzo asleep. And while McCoy is creeping people out, Kirk, for a third time is down there well now more people are dead now there are people dead on the ship and kirk's now he's like okay i'm now gonna have a laser battle with you dr crater um until you tell me what's going on and after and dr crater does dr crater tells him that nancy's buried on the hill and that this is a salt vampire the last of her kind and they find green's body so kirk calls the ship and says sulu Green is a vampire. There's a vampire on the ship. The call is coming from inside the house. It's the big scary moment. Except it's not really presented as a horror show, but it so is. Yeah, no, they 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 keep actively and it's happens through Star Trek in general. Like they they touch on these horror elements, but they keep it light enough that it doesn't get scary. So it stays accessible to children. Because keep in mind, like, when this came out, this was not a show for adults. This was a show for children to teenagers, right? Like, it, that's, okay. that was the, 
I, I, at least that's how I've always seen it as. I, I, it doesn't feel like the kind of thing that they would market necessarily to grown-ups because it felt like a contemporary to like Lost in Space or other children's programming that was family family programming. It's really the word, right? Oh yeah, totally. So they 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 can't make it too scary because if you're sitting down with your whole family to watch this show and your six year old is now having nightmares because of it, like that's going to cause problems, right? And that so yeah they, yeah. Yeah, so I think they did a really good job of skirting that line in general throughout all of Star Trek, especially, but, like, original series, for sure, where it was not quite horror, but definitely had horror elements, and was, like, pushing the edge to that, you know? Yeah, and that, yeah, that probably is the intended audience. Like, I don't know when this was on in the 60s, but, like, yeah, when I was a kid, TNG was, like, 7 p.m. on a Sunday night, so it was definitely, like, the family would sit down and watch it together, you know? Yeah. And I feel like Um, that's probably what this was like in the 60s. I I can't see it not trying to hit that same thing, like that same same age bracket type thing, you know? Like, I I cannot see them having put this out specifically with the intention of hitting middle-aged nerd boys, because that's, unfortunately, what ended up really grasping onto it, I think, you know? That's like, and it became very much in that insular, but I think it was meant to be a much wider audience when they made it. Yeah, and it it sort of remains that way to this day. Yeah, no. Middle, middle-aged nerd boys. Well, there's some middle-aged nerd girls now, too, okay. right? Oh, there, I mean, there were, there were always girls here. Some people might not know that that's the case. Yeah, Star Trek really... And, I mean, you've got that with Firefly, too, right? Where, where it's being demographic for a specific age group and a specific gender, and that is not who ends up being the ones who are into it. Women no. have always Women been like super Firefly? into this stuff. I mean, yeah. The the demographic that it ended up, they were, Firefly, if I remember correctly, the what I've heard at least, is supposed to, was aimed at, like, late teens, early 20s men. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. And when it came out, the one the people who really took to it were 45-year-old women. Okay. Um, yeah. And then it got canceled because it wasn't hitting the demographic they wanted. Yeah, I have... That's another one. Yeah, I haven't really taken a good look at Firefly either, but I, I know I know it's notoriety mainly because so many people seem to be upset that it was canceled. But I guess no one was watching it. <laughs> it it bugged. I I've seen it. I like it a lot. Um, a lot of where I get annoyed that it got canceled was it got canceled mid season. They weren't right, they, and, they, and they were just building up to a pile of stuff all at the same time, and then canceled before they got to any of the reveals. Yeah, that that's really where I got frustrated with the cancellation. It's it's a solid show. It's not the best show, but it's something I really and I'm going to have hate on that. I know there's going to be some random Firefly nerd who is oh, listening to are this crazy about Firefly. Yeah, they're going to hear this and it might even be someone who's listening to they picked this up five years down the road. And they're listening to like episode one to see where we started. But it's it's not a bad show. I enjoy the show. It's a fun show. It's not amazing. It's not like the way that it got hyped up to be, but it's a fun show. Um, I think the better one to watch is Farscape. Oh, w- wow! I definitely don't know anything about Farscape. So Farscape is um, a Jim Henson sci-fi production out of Australia. I uh, sure did not expect you to say Jim Henson. So the basic premise is there's this guy who ends up going through a wormhole and being shot out somewhere else in space. His star charts 
do not know it. Like, it's, it's just somewhere so far gone. He's trying to get back to Earth. And he ends up running into um, a, a set of people who, like a, a race of people who look just like him, but they aren't. They're different. They're an alien species. And those are Australians trying to sound American. So they all have like a slightly like Southern American accent. Okay. <laughs> um, and then there, he ends up on this ship with her um, as a prisoner. And there's um, a, a Jim Henson like puppet that is basically this like the entire console think like the doctor who console right that big middle section yeah yeah, yeah. it's basically the size of that and that's the controller of the ship and there's a plant-based creature on it um who's doesn't look like she's made of plants at all like it's it's, and it's it's a lot of them who are all misfits and on the run from the evil you know nazi allegory dictatorship right thing it's i think three seasons in a movie or four seasons in a movie or something like that wow yeah, um, when I first started seeing Sean, he actually, that was my first Christmas gift from him. He bought me the full box set. Um, and it's, well, he's a huge Jim Henson fan, right? But, like, it's sure, amazing. Sure, sure. And I, I I cannot recommend it enough. It's it's excellent. So, yeah, um, I like Firefly. Farscape is better. Man. There, I, there's my hot take of the episode. I did not know there was a Jim Henson spaceship show. I will. I will see what I can do, and maybe we'll do that on another night. That's not when we're working on this. But I'm. Yeah, I'm more than happy stuff. to sit down and watch it. Yeah. Great. Man, it's, it's, it's so, really man, good. I'm never gonna be able to watch all the TV shows. No, you won't. They keep making them. Yeah, and, and <laughs> they keep making the good ones. Yeah, they do. They they're making some some good for for a while there in the early 2000s. I kind of thought maybe there would not be any good media ever again. No, but it, then it, it, they figure themselves out again. It sort of seemed like that's where it was going. <laughs> um, so let me let me tell you about the scene that fascinated me in this episode. Go for it. I love when the salt vampire is taking the form of McCoy and it's sitting in the meeting where they're discussing it. They're discussing salt vampires, and yep. none of them know. McC- and McCoy is doing the blank-faced, creepy thing, but they haven't figured it out. And they're all, you know, Crater is talking about how it needs to be loved, like, and you, and you almost, you almost don't understand if it really, if it really is comprehending what's being said about it. And you know, they're they're trying to convince Crater to help them hunt it down. And it's just looking at all of them going like looking back and forth between them with this blank look and like really not knowing the level of how much it understands or like not knowing if it understands Crater's devotion to it. It's I yeah, that was that was my scene this week that I found very interesting because it really goes on for a while. And there's a lot of shots of McCoy's just blank face. Well, there's a lot in that, like, that specific scene, too, I feel like it's one of the denser scenes for um, nuance and subtleties. Yeah. Like, because you've got Crater, and the more Crater's talking about the creature, the more you're like, oh, wait, have you fallen in love with the salt monster then? Like, yeah. Yes, we know that you love your wife. But now it's two years after your wife, a year or two after your wife's dead. Have you fallen in love in the interim? And and does this thing fall, have have love for you, or is it just using you for sustenance? Or is it just 
does it just reflect whoever is speaking to it? Like it, it yeah. I like is, oh. it, is, it blank, is it a blank slate until you talk to it? Right. And then like there's a lot of of, of unanswered in that, and there's a lot of surprisingly sophisticated things happening in it, you know, for given everything else that's happened in the show so far. Like it's a really smart scene. Yeah. And done very, very well by all parties involved. Like the Forrest Kelly is playing himself who's being played by somebody else who's playing him. Right. And on top of that, also now having to react where it looks like he's also now taking on maybe some of another person. Like he's got like three characters that he's playing at once. It's it's really well done. Like super impressive. Yeah, DeForest Kelly does a very, very good job in this. In this, in this for the first time, we're seeing him do do Leonard McCoy. Well, there's a reason he's uh, he he's one of my favorite doctors and most people's favorite doctors in the whole show. Like he's one of the favorite characters across the entire franchise. It's because he's so he is so good. He's he's probably one of the better actors they've ever had, in my opinion, at least sure. of what I've seen. Sure. Uh... To, for to do a, a total tangent, uh, go for it. Carl Urban does an incredible DeForest Kelly. He was perfection. It's, it's he, ridiculous. Like, <laughs> it's like, and and that the whole thing about like for, okay, so come, sticking with the tangent, Carl sure. Urban's line in in the remake movies, like in the reboot, sure. about she left me uh, and took everything but my bones. Oh, was it Nancy? That I don't know, but oh that, my god, that that line was improved by Carl Urban. <laughs> like he's so good. I mean, like I mean, you can't, awesome. you can't you can't not think the actor's good. Look at how well he emoted with just his mouth as Judge Dredd. You know what I mean? Like he's just he's a phenomenal actor. Oh uh, yeah, if, Dredd is also something. If if people are sleeping on that movie, still go watch Dredd. Yeah, the the remake. Look, don't get me wrong. Sylvester Stallone's movie was a fun movie, but like yeah, the I've remake was no. It's it's not Judge Dredd. If you're a fan of Judge Dredd of the comics, yeah, and okay. I've never read the comics, so I can't. Right. I don't yeah, know 100. Sure. Um, but from everyone who I know of who's spoken about it, who's read the comics, it's not Judge Dredd from the comics. He's he's done his own thing with it completely, but it is a silly, fun Sylvester Stallone action movie with with. Just him meeting out, you know, bloody justice to whoever he feels like. It's fantastic. Um, in a, a very, I think it was the '90s it came out in. Like it's just a very, it's like Rambo but with more control kind of thing. Sure. Yeah, I liked it. It was fun. It's a good little movie. Um, I I enjoyed it a great deal. The Carl Urban one is a better film though. Yeah, the the Carl Urban one is just solid. It's just a. It is. Yeah, it's just yeah. a. A great little unit of a movie. So after this, maybe I mean the salt vampire seems to be on a rampage at this point. It may be that she's just insatiable. Once she starts getting it, she gets more powerful and she just has to keep killing. But she kills Crater next. And she injures Spock, but it turns out, and again, this is the first time we learn about this. He's got green blood. And his active salt content is different than human blood, so she can't vampirize him. 
I think he says it because he grew his his species came out of a different. Oh, that's ocean. right. Yeah, he says, "Yeah, my species grew from a different ocean than yours." Yeah, and my salts, my blood salts, are different. Yeah. Bones eventually, yeah. yeah. Bones likes to make fun of him for having green blood, but not yet. But we do see his green blood for the first time here. Yeah, no, a lot of the uh, it's a surprise how much of the later show is straight up just cribbed from this this episode specifically. I really, I think I'm gonna really enjoy like seeing all of the like how all of these little bits of lore get bred breadcrumbed out to us and how the world gets built over these three seasons. I think that's one of the things that's really nice, too, about having grown up with this as a, a thing that's always been, like, it's, it's ever-present in my life, right? Um, and then being able to go back and watch it as, an like, an adult with, with you know, all of this now knowledge and seeing where it comes from and being able to make those connections, because, like, at the time, who would have thought the green blood thing would be important, right? But, like... Yeah, it could have been a, just a throwaway for this episode, and then they decided, well, let's, you know, let's... That's yeah, part, and that's part of the lore now. And there's a lot of stuff that comes up over over the original series, specifically that that could easily have been that. And it's 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 fun to be able to go back and see it, and be able to re re see it in a different way, like with a different perspective, different eyes. You know. Yeah, totally. And I mean, of course, and it's also, uh, you know, a, a not a tactic, but it's a it's a method of writing. Uh, as we go later on, and I mean, obviously, very obvious in Lower Decks and stuff, but even in, you know, TNG and stuff, I'm sure that, you know, the writers are just watching these episodes and seeing what they can pick out to kind of cement it as part of the world and just build their own lore. And, you know, it's a, oh, yeah. it's a thing people do. Yeah, no, I mean, you can see it, I'm sure, with Strange New Worlds, too, where they've pulled heavily from this. Like, that's going to yeah. have people, that's going to have, like, you know, you're sitting down for your training on the new job, and they're like, okay, watch all of the original series, then come right. talk to yeah, us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, sit in a room for two weeks, watch the entire show, memorize it, then come talk to us. So in the dramatic finale, Bones has to stop listening to his glands, <laughs> and he has to, and while the salt vampire is using its suction cups to to suck the salt out of Kurt, Bones has to has to shoot Nancy, who he believes is Nancy, or actually, I believe he doesn't even shoot until it turns to him and for whatever reason, drop well, for dramatic reasons for the episode, drops yeah. its illusion and he sees its full salt vampire form, which is great. Yeah, no, I'm glad that they showed us what it actually looked like. I mean, the the having the monster hidden the entire time makes sense, because again, monster mm. movie trope, right? But showing us giving us that reveal at the end really does help because it 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 it, from a cinematography standpoint like a a filmmaking standpoint right it's it's that breaking the illusion for us is at the same time uh is not kirk it's mccoy breaking through his own illusions and his own oh wait no except almost accepting that nancy's gone and this is not nancy now right yeah it's almost like he stopped thinking about her and that's why she loses her Oh, yeah, he stops yeah. believing that she's Nancy, and or he stops, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so the, she the stopped, he stops gone. believing, so she stops being, yeah. Yeah, man, what a, what a smart episode. It's, it's surprisingly, like, smart, and honestly, like, we've been, we've, 
we've been talking about it for a bit now. And like, it feels like the kind of thing that you could easily, you know, full look, on look deeper into. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a bunch of stuff like we talked about quickly during the show about like the, the phaser being the one from the cage. That, oh yeah. That, yeah. That Dr. That, Crater has the old model phaser. Yeah. Whereas, you know, they've got the newer one for, for Kirk and Spock when mm-hmm. they're taking him out and all that stuff. Right. So like, there's a bunch of stuff that is small, Easter eggy, and could be analyzed further. We just don't have the week to do it, you know? Yeah, and we've got 920 more episodes of this thing to watch. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So let me, yeah, so let me say thank you for talking about this one. Well, thank you for having me. I, as always, this is, I, and, I'm, uh... I'm so happy to be able to do this. This is fantastic. Yeah, before we move on to other things, do you have any any final thought about The Man Trap? <laughs> I love that title. Nothing comes to mind specifically, though I do love the title because it is, you know, it's this chick who's trapping men. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's both subtle and hitting someone over the head with a hammer obvious at the same time. Right. It's, it's just yeah. it's really well done. The whole thing was just fantastic. Yeah. Um, what what would you give your ranking on this? So I'm giving I'm gonna give it a solid I think I'm actually gonna go higher than they did on IMDb. I think I'm giving it an eight out of ten myself. I'll give it an eight. Yeah? I'll give it an eight. I, I don't mean to be repetitive, but I'm sure we'll get to some episodes I don't like as much and I'm sure there will be some I like more. We'll get there, I'm sure. There's always gonna be something that's boring or something, you know? Yeah, let's stick with eight. I feel like yeah, this is definitely a solid eight. With me yeah, not I, having a ton of basis of comparison, yeah. Yeah, no, and I definitely feel like this was... The cage was good. I feel like this was better. I do feel like this was just a better show. It had a lot more... Um, the writing like the writing just felt salt and better and more interesting, you know what I mean? So Yeah, I think so. I think some of the sets looked better. I think even some of the lighting looked better. And yeah, I think I think this was a better production. Yeah, and that's not not to be negative on the cage, but sure. that was that wasn't already picked up by a network. This one was, you know what I mean? So, yeah, great, awesome. The man trap. All right, thank you for listening to the least ready room. Uh, let's take a look at some of the answers of our question. To our question of the week. The question of the week was, what is the worst thing that happens to someone on Star Trek? And I'm not sure... Wow. Oh, maybe I was explaining to Midori before I realized I was not recording that. My answer was the time that Miles O'Brien on an episode of Deep Space Nine gets sent to a, a mental prison where he's implanted with the memories of being in this very brutal prison for, you know, 50 years or something even though no time has gone by and then he has to go back to the station. He's all shell-shocked and has this memory of this horrible experience that didn't actually happen. Um, Chaos Confetti had a great answer, which was the episode Battle Lines from DS9, where um, there are two warring factions on a planet that has, you know, a a more a global government that that is not at war, but these two factions will not stop warring, so... They trans. They move. You know, I don't know if they tell. I was going to say they teleport all these people, but they transfer. They transfer the two warring parties to a moon, and they curse them with immortality. So they will kill each other and be resurrected forever for all time, 
as a warning to not have wars on our planet. I'm not sure if I totally summed that up correctly, but uh, season one of DS9, I am not fully familiar with. DS9, and in fact, I'm more familiar with seasons one and two of Voyager and TNG. But yeah, DS9, and it could even be that I like the middle part in the end and where the, the resolution of that show so much more than where it begins because I feel like it didn't know what it wanted to do at first. So I've seen seasons one and two of DS9, not that much, but maybe I'll take a look at that episode. Um, Weebs said the lady that gets owned by Vajo in uh, TNG, the episode where Data is kidnapped, using the Varen T Disruptor, which was banned for being too vicious. Um, yep, Locke says, the thing that killed Yar has one of the worst existences I can imagine, and that's Armis, who we talked about at the beginning of the episode, who is the skin of evil and negative emotions that was shed by some race as they ascended and left him behind. Um, Picard getting Borged is pretty bad. This is a lock answer, not just the physical body horror or the coercive mental trauma, but also being used slash helping to kill thousands of people. Um, yeah, Weebs men mentions the Cardassian occupation of Bajor, which is terrible. Um... And then Locke, Locke's really coming to the aid of, Locke is a big fan of Light Turner, by the way. I'll, I'll take that back. We'll see. We're going to, the Death Note coverage will be happening on my other podcast. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he mentioned Chain of Command and the guy with the four lights. And uh, he talks about when the interrogator, the Cardassian, describes his childhood. It's very ugly. So bad experiences for Cardassia and Bajor, really. I mean, that's the DS9 and the war between those planets and everything. DS9 has the worst body count, the most mentions of tortured and starving and horrible experiences happening to people. Uh, Saint mentioned, he, well, Saint says, this is definitely not the worst thing, but for some reason I thought of this TOS, TOS episode where some aliens from Andromeda hijack the Enterprise and turn the entire crew into a bunch of 12-sided dice, and then an alien crushes one man yeah i don't re i don't remember that episode but he goes on to say that kirk gets the andromedon andromedans to stop hijacking the ship by sleeping with one also scotty out drinks another one in a drinking contest that sounds great um Locke says the senior staff walking in on Barclay's extremely inappropriate holodeck programs is also a truly terrible fate for Barclay or for the staff? Like, good God. Um, someone in... Saint says that someone in some TOS situation gets thrown into a hell dimension at some point. And uh, is that most of our answers? Ah, yes, Weebs, this, Weebs has one final one. That is maybe the worst thing that happens to anyone in Star Trek is to the viewer for believing in any sort of utopian future for humanity. <laughs> Locke returns to defend another villain by saying Q getting his powers stolen is a taken away is a pretty bad fate for him, but... I mean, he gets them back, they're fine. Yeah, Saint mentioned that, but... Anyway, 
Yeah, so those are some of the worst things. And yeah, I think really most of the things that happen to Miles O'Brien are my answer. Uh, the one where, yeah, he gets those memories implanted. The one where his daughter goes through a portal and comes out 16 years old and he has to decide if he rescues his the first version of his daughter. Is it going to cause this one to be deleted from the timeline? Etc, etc, when it comes to, to potatoes, Miles O'Dian. So, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, we are going to be doing this, yeah, on, or I will be publishing this on Sundays. It's Sunday right now. I hope everyone is having a lovely weekend. And, oh, the question of the week for next week is what is your favorite or what do you think is the most interesting special power a character on Star Trek uh, has or receives or uses? It can be a type of technology or a mental ability or some type of physical uh, special ability like shape-shifting or whatever. Anyway, I shouldn't be feeding possible answers. So um, you can find Chris on twitch.tv at Toronto ABC and Midori on Twitch at Midori SKYZ. And uh, you can find all my stuff on koedk.tv. You can get a link to the Discord where this all takes place and where we talk about this and watch these shows and Get involved in the conversation if you like. And uh, if you want to answer that question, you can, yeah, on koyadk.tv, you can find any number of socials that I might be on that you can message me through. And uh, I look forward to talking to everyone and talking about the next episode, Charlie X, next week. Uh, should we have some, I should have some kind of, this is the least ready room signing off or something. I'll ask Chris when we talk on Monday, tomorrow. I've, i got to DM everyone. we got to figure out what the schedule is going to be for, anyway. Goodbye.